This is a homebrew podcast. Who keeps writing all these notes all over? What does it mean? I can't get off without killing my clone. Hey, yeah, someone wrote on my arm you can't climb the path with metal cylinders in your hand. <sighs> There's a sign on my door that says an apple a day keeps the goy away. Hmm, let me take a look at that, guys. Oh, yeah, uh, that beautiful handwriting. Look at that, the cursive on the Z. That could only be one of our illustrious crew members. The mysterious Neutral Reaver. Oi, who wrote my other rides a nuke on my chassis? Welcome to the crew, Neutral Reaver. Somebody wrote a 40-page book about me. It's a fanfic about me. I don't even want to mention what's in here. A hobgoblin, the closer, approaches Zoro's and holds out an open hand. Inside of it are four earpieces. We found them. Zoro's nods and turns to follow the hobgoblin away from the Lathander into a clearing where we find our crew. One of them didn't make it, the closer says. There are a couple dozen closers and fixers swarming around this scene, lined up, shackled, and still unconscious are Carl, Billy, and Zaldwin. Behind them lies Mr. Goy, lifeless. Good work, Zoro says simply, spinning a dagger in his hand. He approaches the crew and leans over them. Really good work. This is good stuff. One of the fixers from behind the crew says, One of them is already cursed. Zoro's tilts his head and follows the fixer's pointing finger to Billy. Zoro's approaches him. So, uh, somehow even more useless? Okay, who even is this one? He goes by Billy Boom, a closer responds, reading from a tablet. Real name, Vornan Broken Crown. Huh. Well, wake him up, get the others to the Lathander. A fixer starts to awaken Billy, who coughs up blood. His eyes harden immediately as he recognizes Zoros and starts to struggle against his bonds. What the fuck did you even think you were doing, Billy? And Zoros leans over and casually plunges his dagger into Billy's chest. Billy's eyes widen for a moment, and then he spits blood into Zoros's face, and then goes limp. Zoros, expressionless, starts to carve into Billy's chest, working his way around the mechanical core that had replaced Billy's heart, blood spraying everywhere. Suddenly, Mr. Goy lurches. Sitting upright, Goy starts to projectile vomit a pale, flesh-colored liquid everywhere, and a voice floats on the air away. Thank you, Mr. Goy. Thank you for everything. It was wonderful. (laughs) As closers descend on Goy, shackling him, we follow Zoro's gaze back to Billy, but only unlocked open shackles remain where we left him. Billy taps Zoro's on the shoulder. Zoro starts (gasps) and turns to him. Blood is streaming from Billy's chest and the mechanical heart is hanging by a thread. He simply says, Boom. And there is a massive explosion. Billy takes his final breath, triggering his heart's kill switch. Bits and pieces of closers and fixers are scattered everywhere. But as the smoke clears, standing in the crater, Zoros is seemingly untouched. Sardragath's shell now circling him with its giant yellow cat-like eye darting around. Zoros casually waves the dust away from his face. Well, that was new. The scene continues with Goy, 
Karl and Zaldwin being loaded onto the Lathander. Zaros and Sardragath are casting some type of spell. Before long, what appears to be a near-perfect illusion of the crew is now standing in the clearing. And a little while later, the hawk lands. As the bay doors open, Elise and Tyler are tricked into exiting the ship. Closers and fixers descend on them. Tyler and Elise are locked into combat with Zoros' forces as Sal and Kellen start to be dragged from the ship. Tyler's eventually subdued, however, Elise falls, and as she lays on the dark ground of Dasaki, Zoros casually walks over to her, points a finger, says die, and the light fades from her eyes. All seems lost, as the crew is being captured. Then out of nowhere, the hawk seems to come to life, and the silence is split. So it's treachery then! Have at ye worms! And every weapon lights up, obliterating Zoros' forces with pinpoint accuracy. The mad captain, Nathaniel Dern, earning his keep. Sal, Tyler, and Kellen are able to make it back onto the hawk, and the hawk escapes. Zoros standing there amidst countless bodies of his forces, casually flipping and catching a dagger. Eh, I'll take it. Welcome back to the homebrew. I am Grant Milky, probably your favorite DM right now. Proud to be here with Austin Brady. Gray, the w- what the fuck was that, Grant? Cody Smith. Grundle, the confused. <laughs> John Cayley. Nivitz Pozu. Uh. <laughs> and Tyrell Nye. Heavy arms, Oliver. I'm gonna fucking kill him. Phineas steps back from the crystal ball. And looks at you, concerned. That's, that's the, that, I mean, that's the last I can find them. That's the last I can get a hold of them. I don't, that's, that's it. I don't, I'm sorry. So I, like that just happened? I don't think it just happened. Uh, I mean, we're in a different plane of existence. So, I mean, the, there's, there's a little bit of time wobbliness, but that's the last that I can find the person you told me to scry on. We gotta go. We gotta go home now. We have to be able to find him first, Oliver. He's gonna kill him. Well, just sit there. We gotta go. Phineas, uh, um, uh, you can, you can go. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll give you a moment. This doesn't seem like a. Uh, I'll be in the kitchen. Uh, uh, if you, if you need me, please tell me. And he, very kind of like awkwardly, like kind of shuffles away. Yeah, I Oliver is like hyperventilating. He's like, they got Carl, they got Sal, and they fucking killed Billy. We gotta go. We gotta fucking go, man. We gotta get back to them now. I thought they escaped. No, Kellen and Tyler they've, escaped. They've Dern. got Carl. He's got Carl. He's got Zeldwin. He's got Goy. Oh, man, there was so much going on. I must have missed that. <laughs> fucking gutted Billy. Billy fucking... What the fuck even was that? I know I don't have much room to speak here, but want to be able to help your friends. We may have to finish this here. I don't... Fuck! If, if he wanted to kill them... He would have killed them in that room, would he not? Gray makes a good point. Right, 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 right. Yeah, if he was gonna kill them, he he would have killed them. Right there, they're still alive. Right there, not they're not dead. They're fine. All right. Fuck. Okay, we we gotta move. We gotta finish what we're doing here, and we gotta find a way home. We can't let that fuck take them. We have the way home. Gray is going to uh, grab their stuff and realize that they're not actually going where they're going. Their clone will be going where they're going. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I think we are clones right sit, now. And then sit back down. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Good point. Good point. 
good point, yeah. Alright, focus. One thing at a time. One thing at a time. Alright, let's let's go. Let's get it done. Phineas uh points pokes his head back out as it starts to quiet down, and he's like, So, um, are you are you leaving or are you continuing on? We'll be continuing on, Phineas, thank you. Okay, well I'm very sorry about your friends. They'll survive. Most of them. Alright. Um this is Greed. The Lord of Greed is the Tiamat Collective. You need to know that they do not grant passage. They send people to do their bidding. So you just need to be aware they're very proud and very unpredictable. Now their board does meet every day. They have a market developed. Um, they have ownership interests in the rest of the universe. Many agents and such. They have siphon souls who pay out dividends when they passed based on the deals they've made. I know it's less interesting as of late. Um, I hate to bring him up, but Zoros, his stock is dominating everything entirely. Uh, as he starts to get more erratic, I know there are some who are starting to short him, but if you do not fight the Tiamat Collective, you're going to need to be able to offer them something. Some sort of deal, some sort of business proposition, money. Does that make sense? This is the god of greed you're dealing with. Hmm. What do you want? He he's looking down on the at the ground, and he doesn't answer for a moment. He seems very distracted. This this isn't right. Speak. This isn't, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. Right. This is my fault. This is all my fault. This is my yeah. fucking fault. Yeah, why'd you do it? He looks somewhat frantic. I mean, he has been so... I mean, one of the most well-composed people you've ever met. And he's, like, starting to break down a little bit. Hey, hey, it's all right. We all make mistakes. No, we don't all make mistakes like that. Did you see what just happened? Yeah, looked like they made a mistake. I'm guessing you're referring to uh, Zoros living. <sighs> he looks at each of you, and then he settles on Gray, and he approaches you, and he says, "If there was something I could do, and I risked even more loss, is it wrong of me to keep that power to myself, or is it evil to open it up? What do I do?" No force is inherently evil. Only intent. Do we? Say that the predator is evil inherently because they need to eat, because they need to feed the ones they love. Roll, um, roll like persuasion. Um, I will most definitely be using my, uh, good, good, uh, whatchamacallit. I'll definitely be using my good, good inspiration for this. Nice. Okay. It's a 24. He, he nods. I, I respect that you truly believe that. I think there is good in you. And he takes a deep breath and he says, wait here. And he produces the key again and he goes downstairs. After a moment he returns and he has a uh, the blue book that he showed you. And he, it's a, I mean, it's like the size of his chest. It's a very large book. So he is kind of clutching it with both of his arms all the way around. And he approaches you, very solemn look on his face. And he looks at each of you. And he again settles on Grey. And he says, I'm not a demon. So I can't hold you to this deal. I want to be able to put my trust in you, though. 
that if I let you use this, you will send it back to me when you're done. Gray reaches over and takes his hand in theirs and looks them in the eyes and does a very sharp nod. One trip, one. You use it one time and then you send it back to me. Promise me. Promise. He lets go of the book and it floats. He pushes his hand out towards you and this book, similarly to Sardragath, how it kind of hovers and rotates around Zoros. It starts to rotate around you, Gray, and you are overwhelmed. Like the, you can't even understand all of the kind of like feelings that start to pour into you. It's like time almost loses its meaning to you. The universe seems to fold in on itself. It would take you quite a while to fully study this power that's been bestowed upon you right now. It would take you a while to understand it, but you do know that what Phineas has given you is the ability to shift lower into exile and break some of these rules. Okay. He he just shakes his head. He looks down. He's like, I hope I haven't made an even greater mistake. Please send it back to me when you're done. Do not use it for any other purpose than stepping through space, than stepping to this next layer. You promised me. We promise. Straight to the source, then. Um, I would like to, on the side here, get instructions on how to send it back to him. Essentially, like, this isn't, like, a spell in the game. This is a creature that is mm-hmm. kind of in this moment bound to your will. It is a sentient spellbook. It would take you quite a bit of time to really, like, get all of the understanding of everything that it could do. But you know at the basic level that you are you can use it to planeswalk. And if you release it, if you willingly release it, it will just come back to Phineas. Okay. It's essentially bound to your will right now. Phineas would hope that it is temporarily bound to your will, but all you would need to do, all you would need to do after you used it was let, was let it go. Okay. I'm supposing you won't want this closed then. No, we go straight to the source. We get out of here. I hope someone didn't spend an inordinate amount of time preparing all the layers you're skipping. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is there any reason not to skip them? I mean, they're interesting places with interesting people. (laughs) Maybe some interesting encounters. You, you you can't give us the can opener and be mad we're eating peaches, Grant. No, I mean I wasn't I wasn't expecting the scrying. There was always this option. I mean, he was a planeswalker. I was aware it might come up, but it is a you know what I mean. I think showing him what he has wrought, even though it's not like completely his fault, but like showing him what right. he has been. I I think that it just all played out for you. Yeah, I mean it is kind of crazy timing, huh? I mean like. I want to reward how much you guys are interacting with the story as much as possible, because I really appreciate you guys have been playing this very well. Grano will put his hand on Phineas' shoulder and be like, Phineas, I think we already met the most interesting person here in exile. <laughs> it's you, buddy. Aww. Uh, oh my god, I'm gonna cry. Uh, inspiration Aww. to Grandal. He hugs you. Uh, Aww. I hug him back. So it takes us all the way to the bottom and not just down a layer? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm assuming that's what you're doing. He uh, wakes you up. Your clones melt back into ice, which is what they're, like, made out of. Cool. You wake up, you have your things, and if you so desire, Gray, you can essentially step through space and time without any restriction. Yeah, I think I'll... Do you mind if I I do the flavor for this? I 100% do not mind. I open the book, hinging at the spine, and I unhinge it again, and this time the world flips upside down, and then I open the book again, and it inverts, and I open the book again, and it continues to fold. As I'm unfolding the pages, it is folding the world around the group, and I snap the book shut, and we're at our destination. It's beautiful. I'm going to give you inspiration again, fucking piece of shit. (laughs) You are faced with the skull. It is a multi-dimensional, giant bone maw of some creature that you can't even begin to imagine. Standing at the base of this skull atop a pile of dust is a massive creature with a hammer and chain around its right leg that seems to go under the skull itself. It lifts the hammer into the air and brings it down with a crack with such force that you feel it on your face as you approach. As you get closer, you see the outline of the same creature that you faced as it had possessed Neuronethamir. It is a humanoid shape with massive black wings human in every way other than its size and those wings. On its back is someone that you recognize. Father Cetel is crucified. Large iron nails through each of his hands going into either of the usurper's shoulders and nails in his feet in the small of the usurper's back. You think he is dead and then every once in a while you see his chest weakly rise. He reaches his hammer up again and brings it down, slamming into the bone, and again closer now the force begins to push you back. He sets the hammer down, and he turns, regards each of you. Oliver, his eyes lock onto yours. He waits for what seems an eternity, and then he looks down. He almost looks sad as he understands why you're here and what has happened. But then he looks up, and the small glimmer of a soul that you saw for a moment seems to have been steeled over, and he waits. <sighs> Shit. Ready, Oliver. Let's go. Oliver starts to walk forward. Fuck. Lots happened. I wasn't prepared for this. My brain yeah. like yeah. wheeling. Yeah, this episode's been a little bit of a roller coaster, huh? As you approach, he does not touch his hammer. His eyes certainly look dark and dead, but he does not appear aggressive towards you. As Oliver has closed the distance and comes face to face with his giant, why? Why are you here? He looks up. Oliver, you follow his eyes. You see the burning man is now close. Not within reach, but he's here and he's watching. He looks up at him for a long time and looks back down to you and says, the bond between a father and a son cannot be broken by time. Your fucking bond. 
took the only thing I've ever loved. You think you've experienced loss. I experience it over and over and over again. And if you want to take my place, then you too can experience your loss over and over again. And then maybe you will understand why you have a choice to make. Oliver's massive fists, like, grip to the point where you can hear the steel, like, stressing. And it almost looks as if he's going to go into his classic modes and attack for a second. And then he flinches almost like someone touched him on the shoulder and looks over as if someone whispers in his ear. And he relaxes a little bit. I came down here to kill you. I came down here because I needed justice. But you already have what you deserve. I've lost so many friends. I won't lose any more. He nods. I hope you suffer forever. And I hope time never ends. And if you try to make it end, I will be there to make sure it continues. He nods slowly. I will try. And I will be here waiting. Tears are just running down Oliver's face at this point. I'm done with him. Where's the ruin? We don't have any time to waste. He nods. He turns back around. Father Cetel's eyes are open now. He's looking at you. Tears streaming down his face. He seems like he tries to speak. Tries to get a deep enough breath to say something. But he is unable to. And the usurper picks up his hammer. Swings it over his head. Strikes the rock. And you see Father Cetel's left hand. A very weak finger points. And if you were to follow it you would see into the mouth of this skull an entrance. After what feels like an eternity, just staring at Father Seatail for a little while longer, he turns back to the group. We have our route. Let's get the fuck out of here. Um, we, we, we still need his page to stop the book. I don't think Oliver will say anything to that. He's just like standing there waiting to go. Hey, where's that? Where's our page? Father looks over his shoulder and stops striking the skull for a moment and then says, You can have ten minutes. And he kneels, and these nails seem to dissolve from Father Cetel's hands and feet. He staggers for a moment and then, to the best of his ability, stands up straight. And he goes over to a pile of smaller bones, sits down. He rubs his hands, rubs his feet, and pulls a small satchel towards himself and looks up at you. Uh, doesn't quite like beckon you to come over, but is waiting for you. Yeah, I'll stomp over there. Squat down next to him. And if it follows, Gray also approaches. He looks at the three of you and looks past you and is will wait a moment, Oliver, if you'd like to approach. Oliver closes the distance, but doesn't come as close as the others, and He's visibly still holding himself back from just trying to tear this man apart. Certainly. Yeah. He looks at each of you and says, My son, is he he with you? What's What happened? We don't even know. How could he, Grundle? He thought it was a shared experience. He thought he'd make you proud. And he traded his life for space trash. He... Uh, just a completely broken man. He reaches into his belongings and pulls out the page that you had asked for. He holds it in his hands and he says, I didn't have any choice. 
was either me or everything, everyone. I gave myself to the usurper so that he could take down Gemdegron. If we didn't take down Gemdegron, then we couldn't get through the next ruin. I had to. You have to understand. I had to. It had to be me. And he holds the page out to you. Dang it, Nervich. Nervich takes it. If, if, if that's true, then um, who was bonded to uh, the usurper before you got here? He looks down over kind of this little patch of land that you're at, this uh, that holds up this skull. Below it, you see this black and red pit, almost, that seems to stretch down as far as you can see. There's movement and shapes in there. As your eyes start to, you know, adjust into the darkness, you just see these unfathomable creatures of all sorts. You feel this intense evil emanating from below you. And he just says, The usurper was truly damned in extinction for what he did. But with me tethering him here, he was able to corporealize and take on Gemdegron, take his place. It was the only way that we could get back. The things down there, that's what's left after what we did. And he looks at each of you to see if there's any glimmer of understanding. What we did. Do you understand? Do you understand? Do you... Do you understand? Do you get it yet? Do you fucking understand what we did? And as he starts to panic, he is pulled back into the usurper, his hands outstretched, his feet outstretched. He takes a deep, ragged breath, and then his eyes fall again. And without missing a beat, the usurper lifts his hammer and slams it into the skull. That was scary. You didn't quite answer my question. One of them had a bond with the usurper. How'd near Nethemir get through here? And Nivitz turns and starts heading towards the skull. Oliver turns and follows. Gray also follows. Man, Grundle wants to dig around in that guy's stuff some, but all right. <laughs> you need yeah, a moment. I I'm sure you can catch up. You're, you're no. faster than most of us. Yeah, go ahead. Take a kick. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> We're walking. You can run. No. No, no, no. <laughs> Grundle, we give you permission to dig around in that guy's stuff. <laughs> I don't want to fuck it up. Gray, what did you say you're doing? He followed. Yeah. Onward to the skull. Are um, you sh- are you sure, Gray? I assumed that I would need the book to phase through the planes back. No. I don't think we're going back. We're the plan is to planes shift. Alright, I I mean if this is the point where my character would have known to send the book back, then yeah. I would send the book back, but me as the player was assuming that we would need to at least get back up to Limbo before I sent the book back. Yeah, if you're keeping your promise to him to use it once and then send it right back, this would be the time. If you are not keeping the promise, that's all I need to know. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep the promise. I'll send it back. Okay. The book folds in on itself and it is gone as soon as you release it. Hopefully back to Phineas. I mean, fucking, you can't tell me it's gonna go to Phineas and said maybe it goes back to Phineas. Said it would go back to Phineas. <laughs> I can 100% do that. Oh, you told me it would go back to Phineas. <sighs> well, that's the fucking plan. Phineas told us it would go back to Phineas. 
It's it went back to Phineas, guys. Just let me fucking add suspense. <laughs> Jesus. So, as you all start to descend into the ruin, you are greeted with the normal just kind of like intense quiet and peacefulness of this place. There is the smooth stone walls perfectly placed. Everything fits into each other very perfectly. And then you find yourself in the center of one of these ruins that you are accustomed to. Before you are a series of six orbs and three circles drawn on the ground. At the center of these three circles is a small globe. The globe is not moving, and if you were to inspect it very closely, you would see that it seems to be mostly a ball of water. If you were to poke at it, it would feel wet, but it's not moving, and it doesn't react in any way to you touching it, other than, other than like I said, your finger gets wet. Uh, the six orbs that float before you are red, blue, purple, orange, black, and white. What do you do? Uh, fuck. Puzzles are hard. Um, Gray would go up and inspect the globe. So the globe is uh, currently water. If you touch it, it's it's wet, but it doesn't seem to kind of like get any smaller or any bigger. It's it's about twenty feet diameter. And other than being a, a, a ball of water suspended in the air, there's nothing significant about it right now. Is the water see-through? Yeah, you could see through to the other side. Does it? Can I like taste it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is um, not special in any way. It just tastes like water. Is it salt water? Yes. It's salt water. Gross. Okay. What do we do with this? Hmm. Um. Can Gray investigate the blue orb? Yes. So these are smaller. These are about five foot in diameter. They seem to be some type of arcane energy. It does not hurt you. It doesn't really interact in any way other than for the size of the thing being about five foot in diameter. It seems like you can move it fairly easily. But other than being a blue orb of arcane energy, there's nothing super remarkable about it. Can I try pushing it into the water? Yeah. Careful, Gray. Careful. <laughs> it, it doesn't go into the water, but it touches it, and there's a little ripple in the water, and all is well. well push it harder. What? It be doesn't careful. go into the push water. Push it harder. You, you just told me to be careful. Oh, you're not being careful enough. <laughs> so I need to push harder to be more careful. What about these lines on the ground? Oh, hey, there is a button by the entrance that uh, Grundle looks very familiar to you. Do you remember back on Pagara when you kept resetting the room and Mordecai kept falling infinitely? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. It is exactly that. Hey guys, I found another reset button. A what are you talking about? Reset button? Yeah, if we fuck up and fall down a cliff, one of this button ought to redo everything. Okay. It was Goy, by the way, that was pushing the reset button. Okay. I just, Grundle was there. He's the only one who's yeah, seen I it. There. I was there. Hmm. Well, I know Grundle's we both have similar memories of that day. Would you like to mine the button? Sure. Grundle presses the button. The blue orb moves back to where it was. See? Okay. What about these lines? 
They look like orbits. They look like our friend's drawings. Orbits or the drawings. Maybe we can find these into orbits? Give it a try! Okay. If it doesn't work, I'll push the button! Traditionally, the idea of a convergence means to bring things together. I wonder if we need to put these on an orbit and push them along the orbit until they all line up. Okay. Well, there's six. Six orbs. There's only three orbits. Are there certain ones? They have to go... Gray will uh, take the black orb and try to put it on one of the orbits and give it a gentle shove to see if it rides the track. Sure, which one? Uh, black. Black, which uh, which the innermost circle, outermost circle, or middle circle? Uh, innermost circle. The innermost more, most circle that works, the uh, black orb begins to slowly rotate around the globe. But nothing inside the globe changes. Okay. Cool. Hmm. Don't be to hit the button. Let's see if it works on the other tracks. Yeah, I think Oliver would take the initiative now and grab the red orb and put it on the middle track. Nothing happens on the middle track. Huh. Try putting it on the innermost track. Okay. Nothing happens. Okay. Try carefully colliding it with the orb. Um. Yeah, I guess I I there. Custom illumination, I try to put it on the outer track too, just to be oh, sure. Whatever, do whatever you want. <laughs> it starts to slowly orbit around the globe We're on the outermost track. Okay, but what? which one next? White. I grab the white and I put it on the middle track again. Nothing happens. I then try the inner track. It starts to rotate around. Uh, it, start, it, it, it moves immediately, but then it slows until it's always immediately on the other side of the black orb. And then inside the globe, you start to see movement. You get in close and you see there's all these little wiggly things swimming around inside this globe now. There's something. There's stuff. Like worms swimming in it. Oh shit, you want me to hit the button? No, not yet. Can I summon my familiar and have it shoot inside of the orb to try to pull one of these like little squirmy guys out? Get in, it, can, it cannot get inside the orb. Try and push harder. Can I get inside the orb? Nope, you cannot breach the surface of the orb. Okay. I would say when you touch it, uh, when the familiar touches it, every all the little squirmies like scatter to the other side. Okay. They're self-aware. If you were to watch very carefully, you would see these squirmies start to get, like, bigger and maybe start to, like, sprout little, like, flagella and then just kind of, like, stop squirming and then just kind of, like, fade into the water and then there'd be new little squirmies. And you'd see that um, they seem to be going through some type sort of, like, life cycle before your eyes at a very, like, rapid rate. Cool. I think I'm going to grab the orange and put it on the outer circle. Nothing happens. Well, I take the orange and I try it on the middle circle. On the middle circle, it starts to rotate around this globe. Okay. And as it does, these little flagella things inside the little squirmies, they start to sprout fins and legs and mouths as they start to get bigger. They start to swim around more. They seem much more active. They're still kind of like 
I mean, they're dying and fading into the water, and then a new one will take its place, but it does look like there are uh, things happening as you do this. It seems like it's working. Nivitz, you grab the purple, I'll grab the blue. You go in the middle ring, I go in the outer ring. All right. Nivitz starts to move the purple. And Gray moves the blue to the outer. Okay, we'll start with the purple. Putting the purple on the middle ring indeed works. You're watching now these little squirmy things. Inside of all of this, they are innumerable. Before your eyes, you're watching all of this play out, but like there are just... First, there's tens, then there's hundreds, and then you can't even count them. There's so many different types of creatures swimming around in this ball. There are so many of them. They're living out these kind of entire lives and then fading back into the blue, um, swimming around with each other seemingly. As you, Gray, put the blue ball on the outer ring, little bits of rock and land start to form on this ball as the blue and the red begin to sync up and begin to spin. There is now land. There are now tiny trees. These little squirmy things are starting to climb out of the water. And before you know it, they are starting to build homes. They're starting to build houses. They're starting to domesticate animals. They are forming countries. They're forming religions. They're falling in love. They're growing up and they're dying this is a happening in moments. Before you know it, they're fighting. Before you know it, they're killing each other. Before you know it, they seem to be looking at you. They seem to just be completely focused on everything outside of this globe. And as this begins to happen, the red orb begins to grow. Guys. And grow. Come uh, here at the button. And grow. Uh, and grow. The red the orb. Yeah is massive. Hit the, Hit the button. button. I'll just wait for a little bit more. And grows. <laughs> These God. things are going insane. They're starting to eat each other. They're starting oh, to grow. Gray runs over and hits the button. Why'd you do that? And everything resets. Hmm. These were just getting interesting. What the hell is that about? I thought this was a map. No, it's like creation of life. What do the what do the orbs mean? Can we put them in a different order? Will it change the outcome? What what's, what what happens if we let that orb grow? Oh no, Dasaki. Dasaki. What do you mean? That's what happens when we let the orb grow. I'm assuming that's Ender's Ender power. Let's try a different set. Or maybe it has to do with the order we put them on at first. Maybe the spots are right, and how we do it matters that way. I don't know yet. Well, makes sense, makes sense. So what was the first thing to happen? Black, and they were just amoeba, or like little shrimpies. So first, there was nothing. Yeah, it's like the evolution of, like, mortals. Then what, then the sun? It's that game that you were telling me about, bro. Oh, that game was fun. I know how to win then. All we do is just put the red one down and wait till it destroys everything. Wait, what? Really? Remember, Oliver, it's how we won the last time. I thought we lost the game, like, five times. <laughs> Perspective. <laughs> Ours is, you know, speedrun. World champ. Hard something. <laughs> can, can Gray do the same 
orbs, but in opposite order to see if that changes the outcome. Opposite order? Which one did you do first last time? Black. We did black first, then white, then red, then orange. Then yeah, give me an arcana then. check. Okay. Well, like, I can roll insight too to see if I can like figure out what I'm definitely not getting right now. <laughs> yeah, everyone can roll insight or arcana. The 14. 17 okay. on Oliver for insight. Okay. I will uh, let you, since it was so recent, I will let you remember the words of Phineas, oh. that there were six forces in the fundamental Dana. plane. <gasps> yes. Do you remember what they were? Time. Time? Yep. Yep. That's the burning man. Time, life, death. Got three. Um, then it was, uh, fuck. Fate, or is that with time? Grundle. <laughs> Time. <laughs> okay, so the six forces that he described to you, I'm not going to torture you because your character would remember because this is his life, not something he does every other week. Yeah. Right, it happened to him just yesterday. Right. So the, the six forces were creation, destruction, yeah, destruction. time and change, life and death. I was going to say change, but I, I was like, well, time is change. So... Um, so you, <laughs> right? Um, so you put them on the opposite order, and if the black one goes on last, pretty much the exact same thing happens. The red orb starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you press the button, and then it resets. Okay. Does black represent destruction or death? What'd you get on your insight check? I got a seventeen. Grundle needs to roll his. Grundle. Then it's got nineteen. Grundle got a 20. (laughs) Yeah, nice. That's a beautiful dirty 20. So I will just kind of give this to you as you guys are playing around with it. The white orb seems to be what spawns life. Okay. If you put the white orb on um, without putting the black orb on, then the thing just becomes so full of fucking squirmies. Because they don't die. Right. So you basically are able to deduce that the white orb is life and the black orb is death. Makes sense. As far as the time and change, as uh, Gray aptly put, it's kind of hard to tell the difference in the world, but, like, nothing really happens without time or change, right? Okay. But then on the outermost layers, you have creation and destruction. Creation being literally the, the formation of a world. So you're able to figure out that the blue orb is creation, the red orb is destruction. So I put these off into little pairs for you guys in case that helps. Mm -hmm. I mean, what happens when we put them all on except for red? Is that what you do? Uh, yeah, sure. Why? Why? Yeah, I'm just curious. Because we don't want there to be destruction. We don't want destruction to swell, we want there to be balance. But I'm just curious. Right. Yeah. You put down creation and the world begins to form you give the world life you give the world death you give the world time you give the world change essence is created these things rotate around this world in seeming harmony the red orb off by itself as it continues to rotate these people you see them they grow up they form their societies they look to the stars they look to the skies And far, far, far away in the distance, destruction moves to the corner 
exiled from their sisters. And then, seemingly, (laughs) from this globe, claws reach out, start to tear this world apart. You see that the tips of these fingers are burning, and then the globe falls to the ground in a puddle, and before you stands the burning man. Oh. The hell, man? Let me hit the button. He waves his hand, and the button is gone. Oh, shit. He looks to each of you and says, I loved her. He looks over at the red orb destruction. He nods slowly. Time plus destruction is entropy. I loved her and I loved you, but you took her from me. We could have tried again. I would have tried as many times as it took, but you took her from me. And he turns away from you and then looks over his shoulders and says, I'll be waiting where it ended, where it started. I'll be there. Finish what you need to finish and then come answer for what you've done. And then he's gone. And where the globe is on the ground, you see a map. Uh, pick up the map. Like, it's like drawn on the ground now where the like oh, water uh, had splashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> pick up, I pick up the map. You are able to basically make out this, um, this point in space. I don't know if any of you... I, Carl's usually my go-to, like, oh, you know where that is. Nivitz would probably be the next closest expert. I mean, yeah, Nivitz is a solar orbital expert. Yeah, give me a... Um, give me, like, a uh, survival check. Survival, eh? Well, we're fucked. Isn't that usually navigation? Am I crazy? Uh, Animal handling is flying ships. Yeah, I mean, if we're going by survival, fucking Oliver actually has a very high... Are you fucking making fun of me right now? What? Because uh, I'll fucking bring a monster out to fight you. No, um... Don't threaten Gun- Grundle with a good time. I mean, I'll, I I mean, we can all do our best. So if we're going by, like, the numbers, like, I have... A, I'm fairly competent in survival, but, like... Grundle's not bad. Nav- yeah, I think we're all... I will say, you're all able to remember where this is. It doesn't seem like... It's a star system that you're aware of. Like, if you were to kind of like try to visualize a map, it seems like it's just space. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But sense. it is definitely back towards like known civilization. Where it all started. Do we have like data slates? Does any of us have a data slate on them? Don't we all have phones? We have our tablets. Nivets. Yeah, you do, Nivets. Nivets. Yeah. No, he has his data slate for his book. Can uh, we try to make a copy, like draw? this map on your data slate save it can i just I mean, take a picture of it yeah great yeah, yeah. <laughs> great you could yeah, what are, I don't know take you a camera snap a picture with their tablet yeah i'll just remember it you guys 100 percent have the information cool yeah my mind is a steel trap uh-huh i'll never forget this <laughs> <laughs> am i wrong to to feel like oliver has a burning like i i don't know why i felt like so like contentious with the burning man but like oliver wants to fight that dude more than anything not out of like anger no he doesn't like hate the burning man but like he wants to face the burning man and i don't know i don't like have a good reason for why (laughs) who are we okay so this is level up you're level 16 Woo! except for billy billy's dead oh man Fresh wounds. 
that's gonna be where we end our episode. Sorry, my I I have never been so fucking scatterbrained. That was insane. Thank you guys for playing. Thank you for listening. I know we're getting near some very big moments, some big confrontations and stuff like that. I uh, I really liked the confrontation with the usurper father Neuronethmir, whatever you want to call him. Didn't go how I thought it would go, but. It was kind of beautiful in its own right. I just will say that, hey, I promise that I will come back and talk lore when it's all done. If anything was missed, I'm happy to answer questions after the campaign is done. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Thank you guys all so much for listening. Please um, do me a favor and check out thehomebrewpodcast.com. That has links to our Discord. You can come uh, yell at me for killing people and ask questions. And we hang out and we have a lot of fun in there. And you can also find link to our patreon patreon.com slash the homebrew where you can support the show and enable us to put out the content we put out so check it out again that's the homebrew podcast.com and we'll see you all next week for episode 80 of the homebrew thanks for listening listeners our story has come to a close for the week and that means it's time to thank our listener sponsors starting with Samuel Pierce, who shall forever be emblazoned upon the homebrew wall of fame as our first Crusher Mania season pass holder. Thanks for believing in us, Sam. As well as Ryan, a longtime listener. Don't forget about Tara Hoffman, that one ender who thought rolling down the window in space was safe. Uh, Rest in peace, Tara. Watch out for Adrian Josie, the silent assassin who just broke out of the prison colony on Hadria. And Trevor, zombie dad, Belmont, hunter of the unholy. You're a bastard, Trevor, but you're the bastard I choose to fight alongside. Special thanks to the last guppy, last of his kind, in search of a new home. And Austin Katzenberger, the inventor of the cat burger and secret nemesis of Ricky Rat. Check out Austin's project at foldsofhonor.org. And Timon King, previously a longtime listener of Galaxy to Galaxy Radio who hacked their location and joined the crew. I knew I should have set up that extra firewall. Oh well. Of course, there's Colossus, a rock golem formed in nature and then lost in the stars. Hope to see you again someday, Colossus. Here's to you, Tritus, the fifth cog. Best damn warforged gunslinger this side of the Milky Way. And Odin, the egg thief. Get your damn hands off my goddamn eggs, Odin. Keep an eye out for Zip. A tiny adventurer seeking to help his parents. Good luck, little guy. And Brendan Baker, a simple slaughterer for beef. I'm sure Mr. Goy would approve. There's been another sighting of ghostly Bigfoot, Grundle's long-lost friend and fellow abomination. Gotta be more careful, big guy, or they're gonna find you one of these days. Find out about our Patreon offerings at patreon.com slash thehomebrew, and we'll see you next week.